Today's scripture reading is going to come out of the book of Acts, which has been our sermon series for some time now, interrupted here and there. We've been back at it for a few weeks now. We're going to be covering the second half of chapter 20, which is on page 1,101, excuse me, 1,101 in your pew Bible. So if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, feel free to grab one of those pew Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 20. You'll see in your bulletin and even on the screen, 11 through 16, but we're going to skip that. Basically, it's just saying Paul is heading to Jerusalem, and he's trying to make it to the festival of Pentecost, and he wants to see uh, the Ephesian church, but he doesn't have time. And so instead, he calls for the Ephesian elders, which is another way of saying the leaders or pastors of the church, to meet him on the way to Jerusalem. So we'll pick up in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of, the Jewish, of my Jewish opponents. Verse 20, You know that I am not hesitant to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Verse 25, now I know that none of you, none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that I leave, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who were sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You know yourselves that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by, hit, by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, It is more blessed to give than receive. And finally, the last few verses, verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept and they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As our choir exits this morning, and wasn't it great to hear them? They did an amazing job. 
And I know you enjoyed that, and God receives the glory for it. And next Sunday, come back next Sunday uh, to worship God again, and you will hear from our choir again. And so we're going to be blessed next Sunday as well uh, on Easter Sunday with some more special music. Our Kingdom Kids can be dismissed. Kingdom Kids workers are in the foyer. They will meet your kiddos, four-year-olds through second grade, and they're going to come over to our education building next door to worship God at their level, and you're going to want to pick them up from the education building next door after the service today. Don't, if you get home and you're like, what did I forget? Check your kids, okay, because it may have been one of them. You never know, all right? Um, hey, just a quick update before we pray and transition into the message today. Uh, if you've watched the video update on Thursday, I always do a pastor's update on our Facebook page, and I just shared a couple things that we're doing. We're trying to transition back to um, some sense of normalcy in our worship service, and so we're trying to make some, some changes. And one of the things you noticed as you came in, we took off the, the uh, pew spacers so you can kind of sit wherever you want, um, and we are adding more songs into the service, and so these are some changes. When it comes to masks, we still ask people to wear a mask right now, and we want to do that Sunday through Easter Sunday, because Easter Sunday we're anticipating a larger crowd. And after that, what we're probably going to move to is a mask recommendation that, like, if you haven't had the virus or if you haven't had a shot, you may still want to wear that mask so uh, that, you know, in the case of uh, you may be sick or someone else may be sick near you, you have at least some protection, okay? But if you've had the virus or you've had the shot, then uh, there's really no reason to continue to wear a mask unless you just want to for the extra protection because you can get reinfected, though, you know, that's a very slight, slight possibility. But um, so just understand, we know, this has been a challenging season for all of us, especially if you've been in leadership in the church, which is actually what we're going to talk about today is leadership in the local church. But it has been a challenging season to navigate all of that. And, and, and you as our church family have been so patient and uh, willing to make adjustments, even adjustments that you don't like. And, and as leadership, I can guarantee you everything we've done hasn't been everything that we liked either. <laughs> but it has been a challenge. But you know what? We really appreciate you guys willing to hang in there with us, make adjustments. And we look forward to, to making some adjustments in the positive direction. And uh, we've also learned some things. We've made some adjustments in our worship service that we thought are pretty good. And it helps the flow of service. And so we're still navigating all of that. But we are looking forward to some of those changes in the coming days. So just something to be aware of. And then if uh, you're not watching those updates on Thursday, just usually at 6 o'clock this last week, I set it and forgot to put the time in. And so I had to go back and put it and start it at 7. Most Thursdays is at 6. And so you can go and check that out. Okay. I want to pray, and uh, I want to share a, a sermon that I have often thought on the topic of church leadership, uh, particularly what it means to be a minister, whether you're a pastor or, or a youth pastor as Josh is or a children's pastor as Rosemary is, you know, to talk about what that means. But there's never been an opportunity, and I always felt like I might be forcing a little bit. And when, we, when I knew we were going to come up to this passage, I thought God has ordained this moment for us to talk about the role of ministers in the life of the church that uh, I, I just see that's from him. And so I'm excited to share some things with you. And it's also very challenging and very humbling to share these things with you. But I'm looking forward to seeing what God might do. And so it's always his work. And so we want to go to him in prayer now and ask him to do what he can do and what he can do alone. So pray with me. Father God, we once again come to your word. We know it is active and alive. We know it is inspired by your Holy Spirit. We know it is your word to us. Out of all the words we hear each week, words on the TV, words on social media, words from family and friends, 
God, your word speaking to us through the scriptures each day in our own time with you and each Sunday as we approach it for this time of message. Now, there's something unique and special about your word being spoken to us. And Father, you know that that's something I take very seriously and it's, it's an awesome thing to be able to share your word and it's also a chance to get things wrong. Father, you know the conversation we even had in small group about striving to get the teaching and preaching of your word right, but always knowing that we're, as human beings, whether we're teaching small group or Wednesday night lesson to youth or kids or Sunday morning sermon, Father, you know how fallible we are. So God, I pray that what you want your people to hear is what they would hear. Whatever I say that might be wrong, even if I don't intend for it to be, God, that you would help it to pass through one ear and out the other. God, that your word might stick in our minds and our hearts and you might change us because of what you have spoken to us. That's what we want. That's what we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I thought, as I thought about this topic uh, broadly, about not just church leadership, particularly vocational ministry, those who, who feel the call and give their life to uh, ministry, to dedicate their entire uh, working hours to ministry, I, I've thought about the reason why I think this could be a really helpful message or an important message is two reasons. One, because just as a church family, it might let you in on some things that probably you already know a lot of it, but some things maybe you didn't realize about the work of a minister, okay, so that you can pray for us, for Josh, myself, Rosemary, and you uh, probably wouldn't be surprised how much ministry Amy actually does, though it's not her official uh, title or role in our staff, but so that you can better pray for us and even lend support to us because we need your support. Because, and I, I wrestle with this sometimes, but you know what I saw Paul doing in the scriptures is he would ask, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. And that's humbled me and realized you need to ask for support. And so does Josh and Rosemary. We need to be, we need to be forthright and honest and say, I'm struggling. I need your help. Would you pray for me, please? Uh, at, the very, at the very least, which is actually one of the most powerful things you can do is to pray. And so to inform your prayers, I thought this could be a helpful message. The second reason I thought this could be a helpful message is because you never know who God calls into ministry. God might be calling you into ministry in a vocational sense. He calls all of us into ministry in a general sense. We're all called and given some kind of gift in ministry within the life of the church. But there are some God calls out to take up vocational ministry, meaning it's their vocation, it's their work, it's their livelihood, it's what they do day in and day out in the work week. And so maybe God's calling some of you to that. And it would be good for you to hear, what does that mean? Because honestly, I don't see, there's lots of places in scripture that talk about uh, the work of a pastor or a minister in the church. But this passage, this story that we read here, incorporates so much of that and more. I think it's one of the best places to go. If you want to know what is life and ministry like, it's right here. One of the reasons is because it's Paul who is a leader in the church. He's, he's given the title apostle. He's been called by God to share the gospel. He's like a missionary. He's like a church planner. But he has that role in the life of the church, even though it's not dedicated to one local church. But here he has spent a good amount of time in the Ephesian church, and that's why he wants to connect with them before he goes on to Jerusalem, okay? But who he's talking to also are the pastors of the church in Ephesus. So you have a pastor of many churches speaking to, from the heart, 
the pastors of the church in Ephesus. So something about that I think is just special. There's something God is doing here that has been really helpful, informative, and very challenging to me. Okay, and so as I share this with you, it's all going to come right here from the text, and you might, you might learn some things, or you might be reminded of some things that might help you pray for us who have given our lives to vocational ministry, or and or it might be God prompting you, this is for you. I don't know. Maybe so. Okay, what is this? What is this ministry, or what is this minister? One of the interesting things in Scripture is that there's lots of terms for that person who is vocationally in ministry, all right? Right here in this one section, we see numerous ways in which Paul talks about his own role in the life of the church and the role uh, of these Ephesian elders in the church, elder being one of them. Actually, it's the first one we come across in verse 17, right? Remember, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. He's got to make it there in time for Pentecost, but so he cannot stop in Ephesus. So as he's going, he just says, hey, we're going to get near Ephesus, and he sends some messengers and says, hey, get the Ephesian elders. In other words, get the leaders of the church. Get the pastors of the church. Get them to come and see me because I really want to see them because I don't know if I'm ever going to get to see them again. And so here are the elders of the church. Uh, the, the term elder it does come from a sense of, of what we find in the Old Testament. You know, it, it does kind of have the connotation of age, but it really it just indicates someone uh, who is a mature person. Ministers need to be mature and growing individuals. But he also says of himself that he is a servant in verse 19, right? I serve the Lord with great humility, right? And so not only is ministers in the church... Are they to be mature in their faith, but they are also to have a, a mindset of a, a servant. And uh, so it's not what we can get out of it. It's not what Josh can get out of ministry, I can get out of ministry, or Rosemary can get out of ministry. It's what we put in for the glory of God and for the good of others. It's not about ourselves. In fact, Paul was so concerned about that, he didn't want anybody uh, to, to feel like he was a drain on them personally. And I think also he didn't want, he didn't want anybody to feel like they had undue influence in his life because of money. And so he points out how hard he worked with his own hands so that the church did not have to supply for his needs. Now, of course, you, you know, if I were you, I'd be sitting there, well, then why do we have all these staff members? <laughs> and I totally understand that. Uh, but this is Paul's specific situation, okay? He, in fact, he would say in other places, and, and this was not a... Uh, this was uh, something he would say, but it, there were exceptions to his general stance of, I'm going to work as a tent maker so that I don't have to take resources from the church. Church is new and growing. Lots of folks who didn't have resources, even though there were some who were. But even in, in Philippians 4, 16 through 19, you don't have to turn there, but you may jot it down. We see Paul giving thanks that, that the church in Philippi had supplied some of his needs. And in fact, he would say even more clearly in 1 Timothy 5, 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church. Whenever you hear elders, just think pastors, okay, ministers. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. That's 1 Timothy 5, 17. Uh, and then even more pointedly, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel that they should receive their living from the gospel. So Paul is not taking what would have been rightfully a position that he could have had, which is a paid position, ministering to the churches that he ministered to. But the overall point was, whether you're paid or not, the minister has to see themselves as a servant. 
It's not what I can get out of it. It's what God has called me to give for his glory and for the good of others. So the role of servant was always in the forefront of Paul's mind. And he talked about his own work like that very often. So you have elder, you have servant. The third thing that's very clear here is Paul understands that the minister's role is to preach and teach the Bible. Specifically to show people through the scriptures who Jesus is and the life he has called us to live. So out of their personal knowledge, out of their personal devotion to the Lord in the scripture, the minister is then supposed to lead and teach and preach and help others to learn more about their faith so that they may continue to grow. And you see that in lots of places, uh, particularly in verse 20 here. In verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Paul wanted to be helpful in the preaching and teaching of God's word so that the church might be built up. So you have elder, you have servant, you have preacher and teacher. And then the fourth uh, thing that we see here, fourth title's not exactly the right word, maybe role. The fourth role that you see a minister playing is the role of a shepherd in verse 28. If you look at verse 28 with me, you see, uh, be, sh be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And uh, I'm not a shepherd in that sense, in the, uh, in the original sense. Maybe some of you have. But what do you do when you're a shepherd of sheep? You protect them. You feed them. You look out for them. You give care to them. And that's what a minister's role is. It's our job to provide that kind of care and protection and love to those that God has called us to lead. And the fifth and final role that I think we find here is the one of overseer in verse 28. And because... I think it's a bit of the nature of us as Americans that we uh, have a lot of good things about us. One of the not so good things is we don't really like authority. We often buck the sense of someone being in charge. Uh, and that's our own cultural kind of thing that we, that we often have a hard time with that. But it is a very biblical thing. This idea that someone's in charge. God is in charge. He is above all things. He is our great leader. Everybody that leads in the name of God always leads under the leadership of God, right? But they lead nonetheless. And so one of the things we see here is Paul using the phrase overseer. Also in verse 28, starting at the top, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. What does that mean? You're overlooking the affairs of the church and the people of the church, making sure that God is being honored and glorified and helping folks grow in their faith and dealing with the challenges of life and, and setting the pace. One of the things we've been doing in our Sunday night leadership study that, that has been going really well is one of the things we've talked about is uh, that a great definition for a spiritual leader in the church is to help people get onto God's agenda. Not my agenda. Not the church's agenda, not the association's agenda or the state convention's agenda, but how do we help people get on to God's agenda? Well, you need to exercise leadership in that, which is another way of talking about being an overseer. You see, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but they put it this way in Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account do this so their work will be joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So you have a leadership role in the church as well when you are a minister. So we see elder, servant, preacher, teacher, shepherd, and overseer. So that's what we're talking about. All these different phrases just kind of shine a little bit different light on the role of a minister in the church. Now what we also see here is not just what a minister is, some of the things they do. We also see what the life of a minister is like. 
And one of the things that we see both in the life of Paul and what he anticipates for the leaders in this church in Ephesus is trouble. Ministry is difficult. Being a minister is difficult. Now, I'm quick to say I don't know that it's just a whole lot more difficult than a lot of your work, okay? I imagine any job you have, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a school teacher or administrator, whatever you do for your occupation, I guarantee that it has challenges and difficulties too. And it would be really great to hear some of that. But let me, let me just tell you what you might not know are the challenges or the difficulties of a minister. The first one is opposition. If we say, let's go there, you can guarantee someone will say, uh-uh, I don't want to go there. I don't even think there's a worthy goal. And I don't think you should be the one to say we go over there. And I'm not going to go over there. Like, there, it's just inevitable. And, and if you, any of you lead anything, you already know that, right? When you lead, there's always opposition. Paul experienced this firsthand, and he warns the, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, it's coming your way too. Verse 18 and we're going to kind of be all over the place in this section. But I want, to, I want you to see where it's coming from the scripture. Verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, uh, yeah. So, so this is when Paul is first having the conversation with the uh, Ephesian elders. He says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from first day I came into the province of Asia. Uh, I served with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Uh, verse, verse 22 a little bit further. He says, I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. In verse 29, he is warning the elders of the church. This is what's coming for you. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to sway some people away to being disciples after them. So what, what do we find in this passage about men, being a minister? What we find is that there's difficulty. And one of those difficulties is opposition. The second thing we find that's, that's a ministry difficulty is the, is the challenge of being a truth teller. In a world that doesn't want to hear the truth, uh, it's hard to be a truth teller. Now, some people have no problem with that, but a lot, of, a lot of ministers do. They want to tell the truth, but they know the truth might be hurtful. Verse 27, what do we read? Verse 27, Paul says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Not just the parts you're going to like. Not just the things you want to hear. Not just the stuff that makes you feel good. And let me tell you, I want to preach a feel-good sermon every single time. And in fact, I even struggle with this. It's like, this isn't really a feel-good sermon. I don't really want to preach it. But hey, it's in the Bible. I want to be like Paul. I want to preach the whole will of God. And that doesn't just happen in a preaching. It doesn't just happen in a Bible study. It happens even interpersonally as we talk and have conversations. Sometimes you've got, you got to tell the truth, and sometimes the truth is hard to tell. That's a challenge. It's a ministry difficulty. You have opposition, opposition you've got to be a truth teller. The third reason ministry is difficult is because the weight of ministry, that you feel the weight of ministry. And, and I think some of you could definitely identify with that because if you're leading in our church and you're leading people, whether you're in a small group or a committee or what have you, you probably feel a little bit that way too. I'm responsible for these people. I'm responsible uh, for what we get done. They matter to me, and, and, I, and I feel the weight of responsibility. And let me tell you, that's a good thing. You don't want to get out from under that. Jesus would say, you know, that, that there is a true shepherd who's willing to lay down their life for the sheep, but then there's a hired hand, and when trouble comes, they scatter. And so the true minister is one who is willing to go through 
The difficulty of taking on the weight of leadership and responsibility and caring for people and worrying about people. Notice how many, you know, Paul says uh, at least three times, he's, or twice he says it, and a third time we see it, that he weeps for those he ministers to. Verse 31. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He cared enough to warn them, but it troubled his spirit that the people he cared about might be harmed. And every good minister I know has that sense of burden for the people they love and care for, and sometimes that can be a difficult thing to carry. There's also loss in ministry. I remember when I was first getting into ministry, I had a pastor tell me, Matt, you're going to pastor a parade. People will come through your life and they will leave. And I have experienced that to be true. People that I connected with, people I love, people who love me dearly, they come and they go. Another way of saying that is you experience relational loss in ministry. That, is, that can be uh, sorrowful. And I know there's times where I just I feel a weight and a heaviness and I just go to the Lord. And I know what the Lord is saying, saying, You've got to grieve these losses. You've got to say goodbye. You know, when, when someone in our family dies, uh, the ministers, Josh, Rosemary, and I, we go into work mode. We don't go into grieving. And it's very easy to just bypass the grieving. And I have found that I have to follow up maybe weeks later with the Lord and say, God, I miss that person. They're not here anymore. They meant a lot to me. And you can't do that when you're in the midst of funeral planning for a family. So you have your own loss that you have to carry in your own way that can be difficult. Again, I don't think any of, a lot of this has parallels to your life. I'm not trying to say, woe is me, feel bad for us. I'm just saying, this is what it's like. Maybe you could pray, uh, maybe you'd be more informed to know how to pray. Or maybe if God's calling you to this work, it might give you a picture of what this work looks like. But you're gonna experience loss. People are gonna come and go, and it's gonna be hard. The fifth and final difficulty in ministry is that there's a lot of it that's just hard work. There's just stuff that you just don't really want to do, stuff that you didn't even know you are going to have to do when you got into ministry. But you know what? you got to do it. It's hard work. Paul talks about this hard work. He says in verse 34, You yourselves know these hands of mine have supplied my own needs, the needs of my companions, and everything I did I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. So it's hard work, and it should be, and it's, and it's good, and I'm going to get to why that's all good. But these are the difficulties in ministry, and I would imagine a lot of them you'd say, yep, I feel that difficulty in my work too, or in my role as well. But what sustains the minister is that ministry is a calling. That's why I thought about what if God is calling one of you to vocational ministry? He's calling all of us to do ministry, no doubt. What if he's calling some of you to vocational ministry? You have to understand, first of all, it is a call. It's not something you just get to decide to do on your own. I've seen people who, who have said, well, I just I want to do that. That looks like fun. I'm going to go do that. And, and they don't last because they run into all those difficulties I just mentioned. They say, I'm out. And even, even those who are committed to it, there are times where, where you want to say that. I'm, I'm, I'm done, Lord. I need a break. Um, but what sustains the minister in the midst of the challenges that we just kind of covered 
is the realization that it's God's call. Look at verse 24 with me. However, I considered my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task, listen to this, the Lord Jesus has given me. It's not Paul's idea. If you know Paul's story, you know it wasn't his idea. His idea was to persecute the church, to bring down Christians. That's what he was doing when God converted him. And that's, that's the life God called him out to and said, now you're going to be my minister, particularly to the Gentiles. We see it there, but we also see it somewhere else. Verse 28. Be shepherds of the church of God. Uh, nope. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Point being is that Paul understood for himself and for those leaders, those elders that he was talking to right before he left for Jerusalem. God is calling you to this. And as the saying goes, if God calls you to it, he will call you through it. All those challenges we just talked about, if you know that God's called you to it, you will be able to go through them and come out on the other side. The other promise that keeps us going is that not only does God call a minister to the work that God has given them to do, but God also leads them in that work. It is not left up to the minister's own best thinking or the best resources or the best books or the latest conference. All that's good and helpful, and I do all that stuff. It's great. But at the end of the day, what the minister needs is the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their life saying, this is the way to go. Walk this way. Come with me. We're going, we're gonna, we're, we need to be on the same agenda so that we can lead my people on the same agenda, right? So God's leadership. Verse 22. Here we read, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. The, verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. What I get from those verses is that the Holy Spirit will lead. That's true of the minister, and that's true of everyone that's hearing my voice. The Holy Spirit intends to lead you. If you will listen to the Holy Spirit through prayer and the Word of God, if you're paying attention to the Holy Spirit, if you're asking the Holy Spirit to lead, the Holy Spirit does want to lead you. You may have to clear some things out of your life so you can hear Him. And you may have to do some hard things that indicate you're willing to be obedient, even though it's hard. But if you're willing to do that, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. That's the comfort we have in the difficulty of life, is that God calls us to it. But he also sees us through it. He leads us through it. The last and final thought I want to share with you is that ministry is rewarding. Even through the difficulty and challenges... Even through wrestling with your call and, and God's leadership in the midst of ministry, there's incredible re rewards that come. There are blessings. You know, in, in fact, Paul says this, quoting Jesus in verse 35, it is more blessed, right, to give than to receive. It is more blessed to minister to than be ministered to. There is a blessing that comes whether you're, you're leading out in ministry as a church, uh, church member or whether you're leading out in ministry as a vocational minister. When you give, there's a blessing that comes that's better than the blessing that comes with 
receiving. One of those blessings I found in this passage uh, comes in verse 32. Look at verse 32 with me. These words are worth meditating on, I think. Paul says, Now I commit to you, God, uh, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those, among all those who are sanctified. Paul knows that his time of being a leader in the lives of these leaders, his time of kind of being this pastor, shepherd, overseer, teacher, and the lives of these pastor, shepherds, overseers, teachers in the church in Ephesus is coming to a close. And he just says, you know what, I, I, I'm releasing my role of leadership and I'm, and I'm trusting you to take on that mantle and that you would lead the church in Ephesus well. But it's the next thing that I want us to think about for a minute that I think is so powerful. He not only says that he commits them to God, he says also, I commit you to the word of his grace. He says, I'm committing to you, not a manual, not, not a how-to book, not a personnel policy, committing to you the word of of God's grace. What is he talking about? The word of God's grace is kind of an interesting way of saying it. He's talking about, I'm committing to you the good news of Jesus, that it will be enough. That it is enough. I gotta tell you, we all need to hear that. We all need to hear that. He's talking to ministers, he's talking to elders in the church, but we all need to hear it. He says, I'm committing to you the thing you need most which is Jesus. Jesus is not just how you get into eternal life, though he is the only way. It's how you live the life now, all the way through eternity. He says, I commit, you to, commit to you the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance. It can build you up and give you an inheritance. What, what, what I thought of when I, when I read that, I thought of the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Probably one of those that will land on the list of, when I die, please sing this hymn. Strength for today, right? You know the verse? Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I see it right here. I see it right here. Build you up today and give you an inheritance for tomorrow, verse 32. And the good news of Jesus is enough today and it's enough to see you through eternity. It can build you up. And it's the hope you have for the inheritance that is yours to come. Because let me tell you, when you minister with people, one of the things you realize is that people don't have it all together. People are sinners. They're not going to listen. They're not going to follow. They're going to get things wrong. You say the same thing a hundred times and they're still not going to do it. You realize how much grace is needed for the people you love and lead. Here's the other thing that happens when you lead. The Holy Spirit will say, guess what? You're just like them. There's, there, there's really no, no big difference here. You are a sinner leading sinners. So the grace of Jesus is needed in the midst of leadership because you're, you're working with people who are sinners and you yourself are a sinner. And, and every parent can say amen to that. You know that pressure. I'm supposed to be the parent, but I keep blowing it. Right? we got to go back again and again to the grace that is ours in Jesus. 
That your role as a parent, your role at work, your role at school, your role among your family or your friends is not what defines you. What defines you is the fact that you are a child of God, beloved by him. The grace of Jesus is yours. And you can't blow that away. You can't mess that up. It's yours now and forever. And it is enough to build you up. And on those days where it feels like it's not enough, Paul says you have this hope of an inheritance. There's something coming our way. Brothers and sisters, there's something coming our way that is so great, so beautiful, so glorious, so amazing, so incredible that all the heartaches and woes that we experience in this world will say, you know what, if it got me here, it's worth it. If God had to bring me along this journey to get me into this place of glory, this eternal life, heaven, if God had to drag me through that to get me here, it was worth it. Because on that day, we're going to say, this is the best. This inheritance God has given me in his presence forever is the best thing that I've ever, ever experienced in my life. And I think... Paul was driven by that. That's why he said in verse 24, and this is the last thing I'll share. This is why he said in verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. I know that it can be very hard to keep running the race God has set out for you. As a minister, I know it can be very hard to run the race God has set out for me, but... This encouragement from Paul, let us aim to finish and complete the race. Because at the end of the race is not a finish line and a trophy as much as it is the person of Jesus Christ. And we get to meet him face to face. And, and, and when, when, we, when we breathe our last breath on earth, do we not want to breathe our first breath in heaven? If that's how it works, I don't really know. But don't we want to open our eyes to those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I know I do. I know you do. So what does that mean for us? It means we keep running the race. Let's pray.